Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. As we continue our conversation on the important subject of uh, relations between host countries and investors in the mining, oil, and gas space. Today, my guest is Sokwani Chilembo. Sokwani is the CEO of the Zambia Chamber of Mines. He has over 25 years experience in operations and general management across engineering, logistics, uh, and other mining related disciplines. Uh, he has also previously doubled as a board secretary and a member of the Institute of Directors in his home country of Zambia. Sokwani, welcome to the Shilakama Extracted Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Uh, thank you very, very much for having me, um, Sheila, and uh, really looking forward to us uh, unpacking the topic at hand. And uh, very, very uh, honored uh, to be here. That's fantastic. So let, let's, let's uh, get cracking then. The big picture, what in your opinion is the state of relations between African governments and investors in the mining sector specifically? Well, I think um, there's a whole, uh, the spectrum is quite broad in terms of the state uh, of um, the relationships, if you go regionally and even by country. But uh, what I'd say is that overall, uh, there's been uh, some improvement, uh, especially in our part of the world in SADC, um, where we, we actually have a Chamber of Mines grouping called MIASA, that's the Mining Industry Association of Southern Africa, which uh, Zambia took presidency of uh, in the last uh, week or so. Uh, in, in, in our sub-region, definitely, uh, there has been a thawing of relations in a lot of uh, the countries, and the outlook is therefore uh, a lot more goal congruent and um, prospective, more positive in, pros in prospect. Mm. So when you say that there has been improvement, my reading of it is that in some quarters, in some ways, there had been areas that needed improvement. Could you briefly say in what areas you think there hasn't been some improvement? Well, the areas where the biggest uh, challenges were being faced were really around um, consistency of uh, policy that's conducive to the sustained growth of, uh, in the, of, the, of the mining industry. We had um, a lot of um, perception-driven uh, policy actions uh, across the board in different jurisdictions that led to either uh, policy inconsistency or very high-handed uh, corrective actions that um, led to significant collateral jam damage, perhaps closure of mines, perhaps suspension of operations, tightening of access to capital. Uh, and of course, in terms of tightening to access to capital, the same applies to when policy becomes inconsistent. And uh, all of this really leads to a, uh, a, a limiting of the amount of capital that comes into a market that should otherwise 
be growing its uh, production levels uh, a lot uh, faster. This is true for our own, you know, the country I'm from, Zambia, and it's true for a lot of our neighbors and peers within the region as well, because we are seeing some well-endowed, capital-endowed uh, destinations preferring, you know, operators there preferring to invest outside of their home jurisdiction um, because of all this. So we wow. see it. So you, you've said a mouthful there, uh, Sopwani. Um, so I'm going to follow through on some of the points you've made because I, I do think they get to the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. First, you describe some actions of certain governments as high-handed. Give me uh, an example of high-handed behavior, which in your view is not only undesirable, but leads potentially to capital taking flight from the region. We have some instances in uh, our own uh, jurisdiction uh, under the um, previous um, regime, political regime, where we have operators who were accused of, um, um, you know, transfer pricing type impropriety and uh, massive um, estimates of loss and uh, uh, charges being uh, levied upon them to the extent that, uh, you know, share prices drop and get suspended. Uh, as a result of the negative news. And uh, obviously, uh, this then has a uh, definite uh, increase in the perception of risk for that operator. It happened a couple of times in our uh, jurisdiction where shares have been suspended because of uh, such actions leading to a drastic reduction in price. And uh, only to have said accusations uh, basically not um, proved out. And at the end of all this, all we have done is expended a lot of energy and uh, reduced the attractiveness of our, of our destination, uh, really because the, of a lack of full information before action is taken. Wow, that would certainly be undesirable to find um, yeah. a, a publicly listed company stop perform so badly that they are essentially reduced to a junk status. Uh, it's hard to recover from that uh, in, in the short term. But by the same token, it's hard for a country to recover from that kind of reputation if a country finds itself in a position in which uh, it's, it's associated with what you quite rightly describe in this case as high-handedness. Now, you... You quite rightly corrected me and, and said, look, it's one thing to speak about Africa, it's another to speak about a country, and it's another to speak about an economic uh, block like SADC. And, 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 and uh, I wanted to come back to that more, if you wish, regionalized approach. So what we know is that among others, uh, parts of SADC were also the last if you wish, colonial foothold, whether it was uh, Mozambique, uh, South Africa, or Zimbabwe. On the continent, this region was the last uh, colonial foothold. And some people argue that some of the tension between 
host countries and multinationals from particularly in the West is really rooted in this historic tension. How, how valid is that, uh, Sokwani? It's completely valid. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's completely valid. You cannot uh, discount uh, the, the impact uh, of that history and it's rears, it manifests in several ways. I mean, uh, it really is country specific in context, but generally it does inform uh, the perception of the industry because uh, let's face it, it was the face of, uh, of, of colonialism because it was the you know, driver of economy at the time. And uh, that has informed uh, the relations uh, in the past and has really driven a lot of the dissatisfaction, if you like, in terms of the return that uh, the perceived return that uh, countries are getting from uh, the industry. And uh, it's not helped by, um, like I said, uh, uh, half informed, um, half informed misconceptions. Um, I, I expand a little bit more uh, later on, uh, but really it's, it's, it's a definite factor. It's a definite factor in the relations. Hmm. So you and I are post-colonial generation. We are the African generation X. We were supposed to have put this matter behind us. So tell me why. Why has self-rule not been sufficient to get to the bottom of this and put us past this colonial legacy? Well, I think um, in terms of uh, the general um, experience within the region, it's definitely uh, an issue of uh, growing pain and becoming more experienced in matters of uh, governance and the state and management. And um, perhaps the majority of the uh, challenges that we face have really arisen out of, um, you know, the, the youth uh, of uh, government in relative terms to the rest of the world uh, that we have had here. And also the exceptional circumstances, uh, like when we had um, war between the last bastions of colonialism and the other countries around us. So it is uh, definitely a consequence of that complicated situation being handled by people who are just coming into government for the first time and building countries from scratch. But it really shouldn't hold us back any longer after a half century. It's time to really look uh, forward, especially when the picture forward is... Um, extremely bright. Hmm. I think that uh, the point you make is value that while on the one hand, there is a genuine experience of colonialism and that there may be the odd temptation to use that lens to look at every relationship with uh, foreign investors, it doesn't serve us to keep looking in the rear mirror. But I also think you are right, do you know, I perceive a difference between being a liberation movement at war and being 
a government of the day administering affairs of state. And in this particular area of managing relations between multinationals uh, in host countries, I think that somehow that transition is not happening fast enough. And, and so like you, I think we are going to soon run out, of it, run out of excuses. Let me move on and acknowledge that. While it may well be that there's still significant presence on the continent of companies from the West, there are other blocks like uh, the Middle East where there's a lot of wealth. Uh, there is also China. So, my question to you is, when we see the Chinese in Zambia or the Qataris in Namibia in the oil and gas space, can we assume that the relationships between these investors and these host countries will take off, if you wish, uh, on the right footing because there is no colonial legacy to speak of? Um, we cannot assume anything. As with anything, uh, any other challenges in life, one has to take definite steps to ensure that you secure the best outcome uh, for uh, your country and for the, those that you are partnering with. And to do that, it's really um, not a very um, pretty uh, task. It's very grimy. One needs to roll up one's sleeves and be very pragmatic in doing so, because uh, it is tempting to think that with one flourish of a strategy where simply because you've switched uh, from one region to another, all should be rosy. Reality is uh, there will be cultural differences, there will be perceptional differences, and uh, you really have to plan uh, to manage uh, all of this and uh, to really create a common uh, vision with your partners, if they are coming there with the intent of getting 10x from their return, and you are expecting, uh, you know, Y for yours, you really must, from the outset, uh, work on building, constructing, and maintaining a common vision and ideal that you're trying to strive for. If you don't do that, then it's quite likely that you will face uh, some challenges uh, and friction going forward. So it's not something that we can assume. We simply have to be prepared to uh, do the hard work that goes around accommodating and um, hosting uh, investment from you know all, all, all sources, from all sources. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. This notion of a, a common vision is what I, I empathize with because that is the essence of partnerships, isn't it? It is to understand where each part is coming and to converge around a common vision, at least in so far as the exploitation of the resource. And in the absence of that, you know, people are just talking at each other rather than uh, speak with one another. Now, I know that in Zambia, uh, the post-liberalization era, there were 2021 or so companies licensed to uh, extract copper and ZCC MIH 
actually had shares in these. And the one thing that struck me was the diversity of these. We, we had Chinese, we have Australians, we had Anglo-Saxons, and we had Indians, uh, etc. In this space, how does a country like Zambia manage these very culturally diverse partners coming into Zambia, uh, given uh, all the issues that you have raised? Well, um, speaking for the Republic of Zambia um, as, a, as a destination, uh, even within ourselves, we are a very diverse uh, indigenous populace. I mean, there are 73 tribes in, in this country and uh, there are various mechanisms that have been used to build relations across those uh, that keep things uh, lighthearted and peaceful to some extent, but are also means of uh, you know, ironing out tensions. So we are naturally a very conciliatory um, focused people, much like uh, you know, the culture in your country, which is highly consultative. But um, I think we must uh, definitely give credit where it's due in our country due to the approach of the founding president. He was visionary enough to keep this front and center of all his administrative activities. And fortunately, we've retained some elements of that in our culture going forward. So um, that said, um, despite having these advantages, uh, misinterpretation of fact can still lead to uh, the kind of tensions that slow progress as we have experienced. But um, correcting for those, um, definitely Zambia is uh, a very hospitable uh, country, a very welcoming one, uh, a very assimilative one. And uh, really that's the kind of freedom that an investor wants to feel when they go anywhere. That was the fundamental premise of Lee Yuan Q's Singapore. And I think we can see what they've done. Zambia, like Singapore, is a nexus country, although in a landlocked context with all, you know, eight neighbors around it. So it's only natural that uh, as a destination, we be of similar persuasion. Hmm. I, I'm intrigued by your uh, comparison of uh, Lingwan Yu. Of course, Lingwan Yu uh, was a benevolent dictator, and, but um, um, Kenneth uh, advocated one man, one nation. I think that was his, his favorite uh, slogan. And Lingwan Yu ran a small island of less than you know, uh, half a million people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, and had no natural resources. They are really a service-driven, um, you know, port for, 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 for lack of a better word, where Zambia, I think is more akin, at least to, in my view, uh, Sukwani, Zambia is more akin to the likes of Chile. Zambia is more akin to the likes of Zimbabwe, where basically you're coming out of a struggle uh, albeit not uh, armed struggle. Uh, there's a lot of fragility. You have a lot of resources. You're facing the potential resource cares. But I grant you, nevertheless, that uh, you, know, you, you thrive in homogeneity. I want to ask you a, a question about the Chinese. The Chinese seem to me to have a, a different 
uh, investment and uh, investor relations model when it comes to uh, natural resources and mining. Um, in your country, how has been what I might loosely call the Chinese experience? Have you seen any positive or negatives coming out of that break with traditional ways of doing business? Um, well, when you say a break with traditional ways of uh, doing businesses, you're, you're talking about a break with the way that the West operates? Yes. In other words, the break with the pre-nationalization um, experience and the break with the nationalization experience of Zambia. Well, you know, you... Um, have to take uh, every investor uh, as just that. And when you do, you know, you have the common, uh, the common goal of uh, growth and uh, building value. And uh, actions that are detrimental to that are really universal in experience. Everybody bleeds red when you're making losses. So... Um, it comes again to uh, the achievement of a common uh, goal. Uh, and if the goal is growth, uh, our experience is that uh, the Chinese are contributing to uh, that growth uh, even now uh, under, and have done under some very difficult circumstances, turning around difficult operations, bringing them back to life. And um, definitely in that regard, we've... Uh, benefited greatly from their presence here. Tell me what you mean by growth. Do you mean economic growth in the macro or do you mean growth as in tonnage of uh, copper produced or growth as in uh, relative um, value of revenue to the state? What is this growth? Well, definitely the growth that we would seek ultimately is uh, enough GDP growth to feed the Human Development Index progress. That's the growth that we'd be seeking to ring fence and secure. And in doing that, you know, you have to therefore uh, start somewhere. And for us, it's definitely going to be production that will be the start of that, along with um, in the, uh, investment in uh, exploration to grow reserve uh, levels. So for us, uh, simply because of the mix of our country and how dominant mining is, um, that contribution to those aspects is key and has been and is likely to be key going forward. Mm. The, the, the growth as in uh, starting with a, rather the upstream of the pipeline of growth is, as you rightly said, investing in exploration, making discoveries, and then ramping up production and with that revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I did want to ask you then, in light of that, research by SMPOR Global Market Intelligence uh, publications that focuses on uh, investment trends suggests that, uh, especially Australians, prefer Asia due to uh, perception of sovereign risk among several African countries. How do you think African governments can reverse these trends, especially in view of the quest? for growth? It's um, very, very important that two things happen. Um, I'll keep going back to the issue of goal congruence. 
uh, and really partnering in order to achieve a goal. In, in, in our country, uh, the new government has set uh, the vision of you know, basically tripling production from its present levels of about 800,000 tons to about 3 million tons. And um, to do this, we have to go out there and basically find about 60 million tons of proven reserves, which process is likely to take about the exploration process, uh, the sustained exploration process is likely to take about 15 years. Now, if that is the proposition from our end, right from the start, then anybody who's coming along will really like to see that we are serious about it and that we manage our, our affairs in support of that. In order for one to really um, allay these perceptions of uh, great risk, there is need to actively redress them in uh, you know, in, in, in a structured framework. And uh, here in Zambia, what the government has done is with the support of the International Finance Corporation, uh, created what's called the Private Public Dialogue Forum, which is um, a, a gathering that is uh, uh, basically anchored by a private sector secretariat that will be bringing together the public and private sector on a quarterly basis to look at uh, the situation in key sectors of the economy, track them, and uh, come up with initiatives to drive their growth and correct challenges when they are perceived, all in the hope of being highly interactive so that we don't have to see a recurrence of these high-handed actions. Issues can be discussed in advance, progressed to the board if need be in instances where the government does have a stake. And we can therefore maintain policy stability. I think that's the key thing because were policy stability not the main attractor, then I think a lot of troubled jurisdictions would not see a cent, but they still do. So for all of us, I think the lesson has to be that we have to be consistent in our message and consistent in our beliefs and ethics. If we maintain these as, for example, Botswana has done and as Namibia has done in, since its independence, I see no reason why we shouldn't see ourselves being looked at as a more favorable destination than um, some Asian countries where they might be uh, more difficult operational challenges due to strife or anything else. So it's really just a question of, uh, you know, rolling up the sleeves, doing the boring back office work of talking, talking, talking frequently and uh, ironing out issues in advance of negative happenstance. Mm. So uh, my dear friend, Sokwani, uh, you've spoken like a true pragmatist uh, and a patriot. But in the world of the imperfect, I see a potential challenge for your uh, leaders and the general public and investors. Here it is. You know, uh, the things you speak about, the relationships that have to be managed, and the environment in which they have to be managed is one of politics in which 
ruling parties and their representatives change. But you also have an inherent state of mistrust in part because uh, of the previous high-handedness, but also people in Zambia who feel that they've waited long enough to see the benefits. So my question to you then is that in a place in which there's potential for electoral overhaul, how do countries like yours find a way to maintain that stability and that continuity in the face of potential changes in political leadership? Well, um, it uh, goes back to, as I said, rolling up your sleeves and uh, building things. And uh, by this, we speak of uh, institutional capacity, memory, and processes. Um, you really need to ensure that you create a professional cadre of uh, public servants who can maintain these memories you need to also build parallel supporting structures, such as the private public development forum that the IFC is helping inculcate into Zambia right now. And for these to become part and parcel of how uh, visioneering and review is done. Um, if you build these structures and if there is a change, in political dispensation, if they find that there is an established way of doing these things and there is a grave risk of, uh, you know, uh, a backlash uh, from the public if you uh, fail to deliver and are found to have abrogated these norms, then uh, it's, you know, um, it, it, it's imperative that they uh, comply with what has been set as the state of we need to defend institutions and professionals and maintain them there throughout the career cycle as opposed to the political um, hmm. um you've spoken about uh you and i've spoken about the relationship between government investors what we haven't done is spoken about the relationship between the mining companies themselves and what are called the Zambian stakeholders, which is to say civil society, which is to say uh, artisanal mining associations, which is to say um, manufacturers whose livelihoods depend on the procurement muscle uh, around these mining projects. So tell me, how would you describe the state of that, those relationships in Zambia today? Well, we've, uh, we're coming from um, a sustained period of um, um, I, I think I'd call it um, disaffection with the industry uh, on multiple fronts. Um, like I said, often driven by uh, misconceptions, we've had uh, huge numbers quoted for illicit uh, financial flow activity. But it's not perfect. We have had some 
uh, actions that have led to uh, punitive uh, court decisions, but um, the continued repetition of uh, a lot of this has driven together with, uh, I guess, a feeling of loss because uh, when the industry was uh, national, it was seen to be contributing more to social aspects uh, of life in the country. Um, and I'll say perceived because uh, the net uh, consequence of all this was uh, a deterioration in the health of the industry, the financial health of the industry. All of this came together really to uh, sour uh, relations between the industry, uh, civil society, government, and the host communities. And this is what led to a 15-year period of record-breaking policy instability, because it was really a case of uh, Tom and Jerry in the minds of the policymakers. Let's catch them where we can. And so every 18 months, the ground would shift. And I think everyone is now able to see what the consequences of this have been. Going forward, uh, what has happened over the last two years has been uh, a very consultative process. The industry, um, with working with the previous administration, did bring together a stakeholder in Daba, an internal local in Daba around mining, at which the key issues were hashed out, the key um, changes that need to be made to the way business is done, to the way the industry is administered, to make it more inclusive for small-scale miners, and to really uh, ensure that uh, all stakeholders are afforded their fair shake uh, happened. This was in April of 2021, pre-election. And uh, post-election, definitely uh, our engagements with the government uh, have improved. Uh, we do participate in the alternative in Dawa that is held locally. We do have one locally as well. And from our side, we definitely intend to be a lot more um, communicative, especially about the intricacies of the industry, because sometimes uh, pragmatism may be misunderstood to be, um, you know, uh, an, an industry simply uh, trying as much as possible to wring out uh, every drop from uh, a country. We had uh, attempts to institute taxes, which at surface appeared to be uh, punitive specifically to the industry, but when you know the proper um, gaming out of the consequences of taking such actions uh, were done, it became apparent even that even the FMCG value chain and huge numbers of jobs were going to be uh, lost from uh, the implementation of what was effectively a transaction tax. It was called sales tax at the time. And uh, in the long run, I think everyone has seen that what really needs to happen is a change where we are more cooperative and communicative. And that's what we intend to do going forward. That's what we are doing. And uh, with uh, the backdrop of uh, the greatest commodity upswing we've seen in a very long time. This in combination should be able to get everybody to begin to see a genuine benefit. Sometimes we forget that 2010, 2012, when things began to really turn around for Zambia, that was on the back of uh, the mining sector resurging. 
And uh, we really would, as much as possible, urge everyone to bear that in mind. And that this time, we don't want it to peter out prematurely. We want this to run as long as the super cycle does. Good for you, Sokwani. I wish you and uh, your colleagues in the mining sector, and for that matter, all the people of Zambia well. When Zambia succeeds, we all succeed. Thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast. I've enjoyed uh, your views. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'd like to thank you for providing such a platform to deal with uh, some of these issues that I think are generally shied away from. And uh, we really appreciate this uh, opportunity and look forward to engaging in the future as well.